making life count while we have it. And even that news about Lisa Kaner over there in Thailand, some of you will have to get more details you missed this morning, but a traffic accident, um, she is in the hospital in Bangkok, very excellent care. They tell me it's the best hospital in Southeast Asia. I don't know, maybe you guys know better. But it's a, it's, the neurosurgeon is excellent, uh, but she is in an induced coma because of brain swelling. She has no other damage that they know of, but it's a very critical time to pray for her. And son Ricky has a broken ankle, I believe, and, uh, and Kristen has a broken pelvis. And Rick is fine and coping with it, but we need to pray for them. Uh, we don't know how much time we have to serve the Lord. It's a serious matter. And that's one of the reasons why we need to be uh, fingering guys like you and your lady colleague. <laughs> because uh, the future is now for the church. You're it. And, and God is looking for men of character and women uh, to carry his church on. And we need to empower them and get out of the way. I also attended this last week. I was uh, um, part of my verklimptness. Is that a word? <laughs> uh, has to do with um, just the intense week that I had with 15 missionary candidates at Converge Interna uh, USA's assessment center in Indianapolis, Indiana, where uh, I got to be an assessor uh, among 13 men and women who are seeking to determine by God's grace whether these couples and, and a single man are, are suited in their character, in their abilities uh, to be a lead church planter. It's not to say they're not good people, not to say that they're not suited maybe for the ministry, but that particular task. And we spent uh, every day from dawn till late at night uh, praying with them, spending time with them, observing them, interviewing them, uh, and, uh, and in the end, de together determined whether they're accepted or not. Now, it doesn't mean that God doesn't accept them. doesn't mean they don't have another ministry. But I'll tell you what, I don't like to do that. I'm Mr. Nice Guy. I know you didn't realize that. You don't know me that well. Uh, but I, I uh, like people and want to be liked by them. And, you know, to say no to somebody, especially when it comes to ministry, that's hard stuff. And that's part of church planning, by the way. You know, we have to do things, be involved in things like that. And we, we're not perfect. We make mistakes. And one of the things that came out to me was, these are a bunch of flawed people that God is using. They're just like me. They have strengths. They have weaknesses. They have marriages that need help. They have pasts that need redeeming. That they're working through. They're diverse. They're scared. They're willing to risk. They're passionate about the gospel. Win or lose in that situation. Two of them received a no. It's hard to tell them. Have the exit interview. Uh, Two of them were uh, approved without conditions. And the rest had various conditions that had to be met before they could be approved. 
That's the way it is in the gospel. But the thing that struck me is they're, they're, uh, the fact that God uses a variety of people, people that I might not even like, in the sense of being naturally attracted to them. God uses people like that. And that's a beautiful thing. What I want to do in the next few minutes is to uh, take a look, to, to take a snapshot of a vital church family. You, and maybe just a family in the church. I want to um, look at a regular family in 1 Corinthians 16. And I, what I'm going to attempt to do is to take a, look, take a look at the whole book of 1 Corinthians. So you better have your Bibles open and put on your, your seat belts and uh, uh, put up your tray tables and sit in an upright position, your seats in an upright locked position, and be ready to take off. Because I hope there will be some things that will be encouraging to you and at the same time, sobering and, and, and give us a, a perspective. We must, must, must maintain that eternal perspective. And as a church and as families and as individuals, we must keep our mission in mind. There's a great uh, term that's popular now to be missional churches. Well, from, from the Great Commission, from, from Peter Pentecost, we've been a missional church. We've been on a mission. We are missionaries, every one of us. And we need to think like missionaries. We need to see, to see the world as missionaries called to introduce them to Jesus Christ in any way that we can. And God has, everyone that he has called and saved and redeemed is missional, has a mission. And it's related to winning people to Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking about buttonhole evangelism. I think that we've gotten scared off by, by that uh, approach. But it's just the fact in the package that you are, God has called you and equipped you and sent you to be a witness for him with your life. And maybe once in a while with your words. The family of Stephanus. I've loved this family for a number of years. Verse 15 of chapter 16. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the, that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. It goes on to say, Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. There's much for us to see there in this family, but the point I'm making right now is that they're just a regular family. There were people that were saved in the church in Corinth, if you look back into the history, that were leaders. The ruler of the synagogue was one. Uh, Crispus, and there was Gaius, also uh, an outstanding leader. And certainly the church is equipped with leaders. But primarily, it's ordinary people. Pew people. Blue-collar people in the, in the work of the Lord. People that get their hands dirty in the work of God. People that are right down on the ground level. Uh, that's where the church operates. And God is looking for people like that. He's calling people like that. And I'd like to identify this family as a family that's stuck. 
uh, there's a book that's out right now called Sticky Church. And it relates to what happens when people come in and how we do it to, uh, uh, to envelop them, to bring them in, to include them. Uh, we talked earlier in the Sunday school class ab- about the barriers we put up unintentionally. And we need to be a place that not only welcomes people, but that goes out to envelop them with the love and grace of God and bring them in. So they want to come. When they behold your love for one another, when they see the way you handle sin in the lives of your people, in your own lives, when, they, when you're real with them where you live. We don't have to hide, folks. We don't need an image. God calls us to be ourselves in Christ Jesus. Because it's not about us, it's about him in us. And every one of us reflects that we're empowered to reflect Jesus Christ in the package that we are. These were the first converts. They're called uh, the first fruits. And you know, the first fruits were the sacrifice in promise of the harvest to come. That was the day of Pentecost and the time of first fruits. And the harvest was to come. And it's been coming ever since. And we are a part of it. Right here, right where you sit today. They were in Corinth. Now everybody thinks that you have the toughest place to be a witness for Christ. And they're right. It's never been easy. There are not four easy steps to witnessing. And I don't like the terminology of winning people for Christ. It's common parlance, but we don't win anybody. That's God's work. We can be winsome and not get in the way of Jesus in us. That's a good idea. But this was a tough town. I mean, Corinth was known for its debauchery and its sin. And Ruthann and I visited Corinth on, a, on an Israel tour extension in the 1980s. And the evidence of that sinful lifestyle still exists. We live in Bremerton. It's a Navy town. Corinth was a Navy town. And you know what's attracted to, to Navy towns. But their religion was also full of prostitution and debauchery. And this is the very place where God is calling out people in that day, and he's still calling them out of that type of a place today. Paul, had, in Acts 18, 9 and 10, Paul is, has seen great results, but he's also experienced opposition in, in Corinth. And you can turn there and, and, and look at these verses. But Paul uh, received a vision from the Lord in the midst of the success Now often, I would dare say always, in the midst of success, there's failure. There's opposition. You start doing something for God, and opposition happens. Well, what did you expect? You know? That's the way it is. We have an enemy. And he gets busy. And you attract attention. He's not everywhere. God is. But you attract his attention, he'll come around. 
Paul was fearful because the first thing that Jesus said to him was, don't be afraid. You think that the Apostle Paul was fearless? No. I mean, he got so depressed he thought he was going to die at one point. He was stoned and left for dead. And he got up and went into the city. I, I just can't believe that guy, how God used him. But that guy was beat up for Christ. And he kept on going. But there were times when he was ready to pack it in. And we don't know what was going on, but he was told, fear not in this tough town. And then Jesus said to him, keep boldly proclaiming the word that I've given to you because I've got a lot of people in here in this city. I often say he didn't give them their addresses. Would have been easier to have your calling program if he said, I've got people in this house. You can forget those people. You know, that's his business. But he kept proclaiming the gospel and people were being saved and the church was being planted and built and growing there in Corinth, in Corinth, in Bremerton, in Seattle, in Ferndale. God is building this church. Now, these people stuck through problems. We're at the end of Corinthians. Do you know anything about the book of 1 Corinthians? Let's do a quick survey and see these people stuck through all of this stuff. Right in the beginning of the book in chapter 1, Paul says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, verse 14 and 15, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Verse 16, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. He said, God didn't send me to uh, baptize. He sent me to preach the gospel. Uh, there's some ramifications to that but the fact is that the gospel is a thing and other people were doing the baptizing he baptized some of these folks they were special to him because of that but in the midst of this he's talking about an initial problem in the church divisions churches have divisions is that a revelation to you? <laughs> I mean where, where two or three Baptists are gathered there's division I mean you know, you, this, is in, this is in human nature. And we like what we like. Americans especially want what we want when we want it. And Westerners are individuals, individualistic. That's good sometimes when, you, when it's pursuing, persisting through difficulties, but it's really bad when somebody gets an idea and they won't let go of it. They're not willing to see the greater uh, vision Divisions, they, they were following men instead of following Christ, basically. And the second thing we find as the, the uh, book progresses is that their ministry was out of focus. The wisdom of the world versus the foolishness of the cross. Now, which is best? Class? The foolishness of the cross, right? If there was anything that motivated the Apostle Paul and he kept in front of him, it was the cross. That was everything. He had a clear vision of the risen Christ and it never left him. He knew all about the cross, all about the crucifixion, all about the shame. He was holding the coats of the people that stoned Stephen and he was glad of it. And so when God's grace dawned upon him and he, and he saw Jesus, he was changed forever. Transformed, and God is still transforming sinners like that and people that hate Jesus. And our neighborhoods are full of them. 
And God is preparing them for you. He softened them up. Sometimes the people with the loudest voices against them are the ones with the biggest hurting hearts. And they just need somebody to love them and take the hit. You probably don't have the wisdom to give them all the answers. But you can give them Jesus. And you can be men and women of the word of God. And somehow God will use you to bring them under the, under the sound of the gospel. One of my good friends in ministry, Jack Shiflett, he's the Western Europe administrator for ABWE. And, I mean, he's in Western Europe, which is darker than the U.S. by far. We're heading that way. But he's, he says they're ripe for the gospel. I mean, he's thrilled about getting in there. Muslims are coming to Christ, and, and people are being saved in the darkness of Europe and in the United States. And what he said to me was this, always think about the next time. We've been taught to be closers. We've got to close the deal. Well, we can't run away when the opening is there. Sometimes, I mean, when they're ready, they fall off the tree like ripe fruit. And if we're, and if we're the ones that get to be there, praise God. It's not a notch in your belt. It's all glory to God. So, their ministry is out of focus, chapters 2 to 4. Keep the cross in front of us. Chapter, uh, verse, uh, chapter, um, it's number three here. The, um, the, the problem of sexual immorality. Do we have that problem today? You know, we just do it with technology and more sophistication. It was the same as, as we had in Corinth. Don't go crying about how much worse it is today. I think it's just much more accessible. And, and most of the, well, probably half the men have a problem with pornography if they have access to the Internet. And you don't need the Internet to have a problem with it. But we've got to be transparent with each other. We've got to be honest about sin. We've got to, we have to know that God redeems us from that sin. Such were some of you. That's the message of 1 Corinthians. Such were some of you. But now you're holy. God is calling holy people to himself. Sexual immorality. Can they recover? Amen. They can recover. They can become pure. But it is every man's battle. And with the great emphasis on equality, women too. Sin is still sin. The next problem was personal disputes, taking brothers and sisters to court. What was that, chapter 5? And uh, I'm just walking my way through it. You know, Christians don't need to go to court against each other. You can use Christian arbitration. There are Christian attorneys that will help. But the trouble is, uh, we don't take up the advantage of that. And in our carnal, carnality and our sin... Uh, we'll divide the church and destroy other people. Can God redeem that? Yes. There is such a thing as forgiveness. And we need to strive for that. And the church has to be involved in that, I believe. Marriage stress and intimacy. Sexual relations in the, in the family and, in, the, and uh, in marriage are very clearly delineated. 
and given, we're given guidance as to how we are to treat that. These, the household of Stephanus walked through all of this stuff. Listen, church is messy business. Families are messy. Who are you kidding? Every family here has somebody who. Right? And I'm not trying to dredge up uh, stuff. It's just there. And that's what Jesus Christ came to redeem. That's the whole point of the gospel. Is it not? It's, it's only to save certain cleaned up kind of sinners. Amen. Preach it. <laughs> we are all sinners. And, you know, we, we need to remember and forget. You know what I mean? We don't live in that. We, we don't live in that sin. We live beyond it by the grace of God. Then the issue of Christian liberty. And it really, I, I believe that it involves self-control and the ability to surrender my rights. When I go around to churches and they're having difficulties, a lot of it is due to the fact that somebody doesn't want to give up their authority or doesn't want to give up their rights. And they will rather die. They'll let the church die rather than let some, somebody else have some authority or for, for some change that, doesn't, that I don't like to take place. I mean, one of the most abysmal sins of the church today is the worship wars. If there was ever an oxymoron, it was that. Heavy on the moron. We are stupid about that stuff. Music that honors Christ and has biblical lyrics, to me, is the test. And I get around to all kinds of churches... And, and I've, been, I've had, been in churches where the music was so loud that I felt it in about the 15th row. But you know what? The lyrics were God-honoring. The preaching was God-honoring. People were coming to Christ, and I say, Amen. That's not exactly my comfort zone, but God bless them. God is doing a work. Let's, to me... What, what, is, what is worship? It's everything we do together. We're, we're lives that are an offering to Him. When we sing these songs, it's, it's not about the musicians. It's about the words as a vehicle to lift us to God. I was so blessed by the offertory music and lifted to God and reminded of my, my need to worship Him God is seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. He's, that was in the context of the woman at the well, remember? Oh, you've had eight husbands. You know? That's the context where Jesus loves to be and work. Blew his disciples out of the water. Samaritan, woman, sinner. Yay, she's ready for the gospel. Often, uh, 
one, one of the fun things we did, what am I, it's, it's five after 12, are you done? I'm, I'm, I'm not done yet. <laughs> if you get too uncomfortable, you can feel free to leave. I'll try to wrap this up quickly, but we were visiting a church recently, and it's a church plant, and they're sending out another church planter. And, and man, I'm hot for that. I mean, churches that are so excited about the gospel that they're not keeping it to themselves. They want to get somebody else out there. If there's a population around here you don't seem to be able to reach, find someone in here who can and send them out. Right? That can be right next door. Um, but anyway, so the, this church plant is sending out a church planter, and this guy gets up to preach, he's, and he's got tattoos all over himself. Well, I mean, I couldn't see under his shirt, but they were bleeding out everywhere that you could see. And he was saved in a tattoo parlor Bible study on, study on Capitol Hill in Seattle. And he's going down into the inner city of Seattle, and he's going to plant a church and win people to Christ. And he was anti-Christian, and, and he thought that, that Buddhism was pretty, looked pretty good. And God got a hold of him. And I'm telling you, he opened the word of God and blessed my soul. And I, I just want to see more. I want to see more of those people. Now you guys don't have to go out and get tattoos to get relevant. <laughs> well, we won't go into that one anymore. But you know, Christian liberty, I mean, we have liberty, but we withhold it for the love of the brethren. Sometimes, though, it's more what we can give up than what we can give that's important in the ongoing cause of Christ. You think about that. What of my rights am I willing to give up for the rights of the unsaved? Huh? Christian liberty. Idolatry. Wow. It's interesting that idolatry and adultery seem to flow together. And that's all I'll say about that. But this, this family endured through that. They stayed through that. They grew through that. They loved people through that. They reached out through that. I think it's evident in the text. The whole controversy over, over spiritual gifts. Oh, this, this self-centeredness in communion. Well, that all goes together to me. Remember in chapter 11 and so on, about 10 and 11, you know, people were coming and, and they, were, they were really coming for a good reason. They were really religious. And they were coming to communion to celebrate the Lord's Supper no, by the way, you people over there, you know, all these little separate things. And what is, what is the Lord's Supper about? A lot of churches are going back to observing it every Sunday. Why? I think we need to be reminded of the cross every day. I'm not suggesting you have to do that. I've just been blown away by the fact that that's, that's happening in, in unique ways. And it's wonderful. It helps us to... to Get idols out of our lives and focus on Jesus. Spiritual gifts. And the, the focus of worship comes out of that, it seems to me, in chapters uh, uh, 12, 13, and 14. And the focus of, of the spiritual gifts is true, authentic love. Chapter 13, isn't it? And I think that's the thread that flows through the whole thing. And my view on spiritual gifts is God can do whatever he wants. It blows me away that Muslims are coming to Christ through dreams and visions. I heard a story the other day, and I believe it. 
And these stories have to be careful where they, you can't identify where they are. But this movie crew was going through with a Jesus film in a, in a Muslim country, and they got lost. And they, they, they stopped to try to reconnoiter, and a guy came running out of the trees to them and said, and they thought he was going to attack them or something. And uh, he basically said, uh, had a, you are the people, you are the ones. He had a vision of these people coming. And they showed the film and they shared the gospel and he and his whole family came to Christ. And their lives are at stake in coming to the truth. Tell me the truth, he said. I, I had a, a dream that you were going to tell me the truth. Tell me the truth. And I'm not going to say God can't do that. Right? So it kind of throws our categories into a little turmoil there, doesn't it? Well, the, the key to it, though, are those, those verses, the, the love of Christ. If that is really what's involved there, and the authentication of the gospel message in this age. And, you know, we can be secessionists, and we can be charismatics, and, and people be one to Christ. And God will make sure that they all become Baptists in the end. <laughs> Don't shoot me. Uh, Self-centered to spiritual gifts. Focus. It's really a focus on worship again. And the resurrection. And it all comes down to resurrection and death. And uh, resurrection life. And at the end of that chapter, I love it. You know, be um, steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, brethren sisters because you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord oh hang on to that they stuck they served they served in love remember the cross service by the way service is just being what you are it says that they love the service of how does that say service of the saints and I'd like to look at this in a little different way. The service of the saints, the service which the saints are doing. The love of Christ compelled them to do the service that the saints should be doing. And it's toward each other, yes. They served the saints. But they did the service of the saints, which compelled them to love the world for Christ. Ordinary people, an ordinary family, doing what God called them to do. I'd like you to just pause and think about you and your family and this family and suggest that you remember who you are. Acts 20, 28, Paul's talking to the elders in Ephesus and he said, he calls them the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Never, never forget that that's who you are. And if God has pointed out sin in your life with respect to what he wants to do in this church and in your family and in you, repent. That's, that's, that's it. Repent. Turn from it. And turn to what God has called you to do. I am excited and thrilled about what's happening here. And I am praying for you and with you that God will do continue to do his wonderful work in and through you and be calling men and women 
from this place. I hope that he empties it to the world because that will leave room for more to come in that you can win. Amen? God, we just commit this fine people to you and ourselves collectively for the work to which you have called us. Energize us, fill us, use us. We are weak clay vessels. And we know that your restoring grace can lift us up and cause us to be uh, useful. Pour out from us the joy of your salvation, the power of your spirit, your word of truth. Uh, Help us to be confessing Christians and real to the world around us. Give us great hearts of true love for you, thereby to each other and to sinners. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.